Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... David Hardware, Jeff Kanata, and Christy Pachko. And welcome to the show, everyone. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. Jeff Kanata, welcome back to the Slash Filmcast. Christy Puchko, welcome back to the Slash Filmcast. How are you guys doing? Hey. Doing Congrats good. How's how's married life, Dave? Oh, it's uh, it's treating me really well. Jeff, we, we really mm-hmm. missed you for that live uh, Slash Filmcast recording. Uh, I was so, I was very sad. Uh, yeah. Not I had to leave a Seattle lickety split because it was literally the first time I'd been away from my my one year old son. But uh, man, wonderful wedding, and it was fun listening to the episode of you guys talking about it all there in person. So congratulations again. And uh, thanks and a lot, Jeff. I and I just want to give Jeff Kanata a shout out that that basically uh, ten minutes before the reception to the wedding began, we got Jeff into like the, the the green room basically and said to him, "Jeff, we need you to MC our reception." And Jeff, completely unfazed, consummate professional, he just is like he rolled with it, man. I Ching, you know, like whatever. <laughs> uh, what is it? <laughs> I Ching, Darwin, you know, the whole collateral speech. Um, I don't, I don't have a lot of skills, Dave, but the skills I have uh, are 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 to be able to handle that situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so Jeff did a great job, and uh, we're all extremely appreciative. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was my Jeff, pleasure. Awesome. thank Just you. Just want to give a yeah. shout out for that. Um, okay, so uh, what we're doing here on the Slash Filmcast today, uh, we are doing a double header. We're recording this episode and the next episode all in a row uh, because I'm going out of the country next week for my honeymoon. Uh, today, we're going to be reviewing uh, Pacific Rim Uprising after talking about some what we've been watching. Uh, and that's it. I think there's going to be a lot to discuss. Uh, so, let's just dive into it. Jeff Kanata. Uh, you uh, played hooky on the last episode of the Slash Filmcast to watch a movie, right? What was that? Uh, Tomb Raider, yeah. the, the new Tomb Raider reboot, um, starring Alicia Vikander. Um, obviously, I do lots of video game-based reviewing and uh, podcasting. Also, I'm a big video gamer. Have absolutely loved the most recent Tomb Raider games. There's two of them with a third that will be unveiled uh, just in the next couple of weeks now. Uh, And those were a reboot of the Tomb Raider franchise, a much grittier, grounded version of the the classic, you know, crazy third-person action adventure game. And um, this seems to have been influenced by those rebooted games. In fact, uh, the second Tomb Raider uh, game, which his name is escaping me, right? uh, Tomb Raider... uh, Tomb Raider... Rise of the Tomb Raider. Rise of the Tomb Raider. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Was my other show, DLC's uh, Game of the Year, the year it was released. It was uh, was our official game of the year. So uh, very much, uh, you know, think very highly of of these games. Yeah, the new new Tomb Raider games are pretty great. They're Uh, fantastic. I've I've played them as well. And uh, at the same time, uh, we have very rarely seen anything approaching a good video game movie, right? This is correct. Yes, I mean, I believe isn't Alicia Vikander married to uh, Michael Fassbender? Um, I'm not up on my, they my are. gossip. Yeah, so I they got they married. Secret, they got like secret married in Italy or something. Secret married <laughs> a few months ago, and Michael Fassbender just starred in Assassin's Creed. I know that movie seems like a distant memory, but it did happen oh. recently. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh! Assass- the assassin from Assassin's Creed is married to, to Lara Croft. <laughs> That's correct. Crossover. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> Crossover. I feel like bar- we're we're forgetting Laura Croft Tomb Raider, the Cradle of Life. 
which yes, was are. a movie. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> directed by Jean Dabant. Come on. Yes. Now we're mm. intentionally forgetting that. <laughs> yeah. So Jeff Kanata yeah. was Tomb Raider, the new one starring Alicia Vikander, uh, a good video game movie. I would say I had a lot of fun with it. I really enjoyed my time with that movie. I, I would not qualify it as a good movie. In fact, I've gotten into some pretty heated debates with some friends who also saw the movie and vehemently hated it. Um, it I just I just had a good time. I had a good time watching it. I thought it was not um, offensively insulting to my intelligence. And it 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 was fun. And it, it really, I think, paid a lot of homage to those new Tomb Raider video games. They... It borrowed a lot of stuff from the video game, but it didn't feel forced. It didn't feel like the first person moment from the Doom movie or whatever. It was, they, you know, it it melded into the story very nicely. Bits and call outs to to video game moments, um, and the action sequences were fun. There were, you know, there are things that I would have changed. I found the ending to be really fun and satisfying. The explanation, you know, the big explanation for what we were. Uh, investigating in the tombs I found to be pretty satisfying. Um, it's interesting because, you know, if you, if you map out the trajectory, the trajectory, this is like a, a, a uh, uh, it's derivative of a derivative of a derivative of a derivative, right? Because ultimately Tomb Raider is derivative of Indiana Jones movies, right? It was right. trying to be the original Tomb Raider games were trying to be, you know, give you that, uh, Tomb Raider, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you get it. Uh, and then Uncharted was derivative of the Tomb Raiders, but it kind of reinvented it and grounded it and was better. And then the new Tomb Raider video games were derivative of Uncharted, which in itself was derivative of Tomb Raider, which was derivative of Indiana Jones. And now these movie, this movie is derivative of that new Tomb Raider. So it's like 12 ghosts removed of anything original. Um <laughs> And you feel that, right? I mean, the movie is very much feels like it lifts whole cloth beats from Last Crusade and other things. So to answer your question, I do not think it is a good movie, but it is a movie I found myself enjoying and having a lot of fun with. It, I don't think it lifts the video game curse per se, but I, I had enough fun with it that I didn't overtly dislike the experience i had enough fun with it that i didn't overtly dislike the experience so <laughs> many pull quotes yeah. PR is definitely gonna contact you uh, we'd pull, like it for the poster <laughs> a pull quote that rolls trippingly off the tongue congratulations <laughs> there's gonna be a lot of uh, ellipses in that one dot 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 you know do, uh, do you have a favorite video game movie and i'm talking about a movie based on a video game like i'm not talking about hardcore henry or live die repeat like video yeah, game based would, on a movie I would definitely much prefer those two <laughs> uh, <laughs> because they feel like video game right, movies, right? right or right. even um, I would probably put Wreck-It Ralph in that in that Love place too, uh, which the, you know it has the spirit. Oh my god, of Jeff, we agree on a thing! Yay! Another thing. <laughs> yeah, we agree on. five. Um, you know, I think those are much better examples of of how the spirit of video games can work in a film. But I films based on video game IP have been pretty much universally bad. I guess the only one that I think is fun and it's only fun because, or not, I mean, this one was fun, but it's only successful. I think because it gave up any pretense of being more than a B movie is the original mortal Kombat film. Mm. And 
I, I, I genuinely think that was that a, thing a was blast. a phenomenon. Like that soundtrack was great. Oh yeah, and the special I, effects like were good at the time. They definitely don't hold up, but you know, it, I remember having so much fun with that movie because it, it, was, uh-huh. it was it was like mind blowing at the time to see something that was in a video game like live action, you know, with actors yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that movie. I don't even remember which theater it was. Some theater. I saw it at midnight. We went to a midnight screening the the weekend it came out. My buddies and I. And it starts that if you guys remember the soundtrack, it goes Mortal Kombat. Yeah. How could you and forget it? it. Yeah. And the whole oh, theater went bonkers, dude. When it did that, <laughs> it was so much fun. Oh yeah. man, I so, did I did karate in elementary school through high school, and that soundtrack like powered most of those years. Like it was just <laughs> everywhere. You broke, yeah. you broke some uh, some it was bricks great. and sticks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Christy, I know Gamer is uh, one of your favorite video game <laughs> oh, related yeah, movies, good. but but is there a, a, a movie based on a video game that you're a fan of? Ooh, oh man! I mean, no, like I enjoy. I will watch over and over the Super Mario Brothers movie, but like I know that's not good. No, I, like, ironically, you're watching. Yeah, it but it, it is such a batshit insane movie, like right? Year. Yeah, I like movies. Ironically, I just accept that I sometimes have bad taste or like a bad movie. Like <laughs> it's I don't. A it's a wonderfully weird movie. Like that's just yeah. such a perfect '90s thing. Yeah. Like it, what's funny is I remember watching it when I was a kid and feeling like I just wasn't getting it. Like that when I got like old enough, it would <laughs> click into place. And I kind of think what I love about it is no, it'll never, it'll never <laughs> make sense why that movie is what it is, but Bob Hoskins is amazing, and, like, John Leguizamo is his brother, because sure, fine, and whatever, and, like, I don't know, I, I have fond memories of that movie, because I think it used to play on, like, USA, like, kind of all the time, so I think I was just watching it constantly, and I was at that age where, like, you don't understand that movies can be bad, so you just keep watching them. Mm, mm, yeah. The Super Mario Brothers movie, that, that would actually be my vote, not because it's a good movie, but just because it is so insane, and such a... Uh, it's like was written in some fever dream you know that uh that it is a really interesting cultural artifact i think it's not the Mm -hmm. correct answer to you know the best video game movie though because it is it is so it's the exact (laughs) example for why video game movies don't tend to work right right Right. well i think it's i think we touched on it is that like video game movies the problem seems to be that they're like okay well how do i take this and shove it into a film and they try to make something that isn't necessarily narrative narrative like mario chasing a princess from castle to castle it's not inherently like that's not inherently a narrative (laughs) and so they're like well what if we did all this other stuff and make it exciting and make it something that's not just the game whereas like things like wreck it ralph and live die repeat and hardcore henry take elements of a video game and build a narrative around that and it makes for i think much more inventive storytelling Mm -hmm. we're also getting to the point now where video games themselves are more cinematic so i Mm -hmm. think I mean, I was hopeful that Assassin's Creed was going to be the thing that broke the curse. And Tomb Ra- I mean, the Tomb Raider, the new Tomb Raider video games are very cinematic and tell really cinematic stories. And and we're going to see an Uncharted movie, evidently. And the Uncharted yeah. games are basically long films. So it's going to happen at some point because it's just converging. My brother and I talk about that a lot because like he's way more into like uh, narrative video games than I am. I tend to like short action bursts of just like beating the crap out of someone or solving a puzzle. I don't really like when there's like, and now let me show you a cutscene. Like I have no time for it. But um, he talks to me a lot about the evolution of video games and how storytelling is devolving. And I think it's interesting because I feel like you have these two visual mediums that are inherently about storytelling, but we haven't quite cracked the case on like Mm -hmm. how to turn one into the other. 
Yeah, I think there are things, as you point out, Christy, there are things about video games that make them ill-suited to become movies. You know, another one is uh, often the protagonists are uninteresting, you know, on purpose so that the player mm-hmm. can, like, uh, project whatever they want onto that character. Um, but w- what is interesting about video game movies, too, is that uh, when they are bad, they are like, really spectacularly bad, you know? Um, <laughs> think of, like, uh, Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li, I think. Uh, that that yeah. has one of the best... Um, what is that guy's name? Uh, the guy who stars in uh, Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li, uh, who is also an American Pie. Um, oh, yeah, that, that guy. Um, no, 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 not Neil McDonough. Chris uh, Klein. Chris Klein! Chris Klein, yes. That, that is one of the most spectacularly <laughs> terrible performances in a film. And and it, but it's still remarkable. Like I remember it. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like I, it makes an impression. It's, impartial it's credit. so bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 so terrible. But that's what's great about video game movies. I think is like many of mm-hmm. them are so terrible that they they sear your their way into your memory. Like so. the first Street Fighter, actually. Yeah. which oh. I remember for Raul Julia, who oh. gave his all in that yeah. movie. You know? His like final he, performance. He I believe, committed right? to it. Yeah. Like yeah, I, I appreciate that guy as an actor because he actually committed to such a crappy role. Yeah, so, no shade. He's amazing yeah. in that. Yeah, 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 he's so much fun. But we haven't talked about the first Resident Evil, uh, which I think is a legit good movie, and Silent Hill, which is a beautiful movie. It's not great. The script yeah. has a lot of trouble, but it's really good looking. Mm. All right. Well, those are some of our votes for best video game movies. Um, but Jeff Kanata, it sounds like Tomb Raider, which is out in theaters now, was okay, right? It was. It was fun. I it had a good fun. time. I All right. It. Very cool. Uh, okay, uh, I want to give you guys some uh, behind-the-scenes look at the Slash Filmcast, uh, which I occasionally like to do. And uh, this week, we had a situation where uh, Jeff Kanata, Devendra, and I argued s- strenuously and vehemently over which movie <laughs> we should review. Uh, and Devendra and kind of Jeff were on the side of Pacific Rim Uprising. Meanwhile, I was like, let's watch the movie that was filmed on an iPhone by uh, a modern auteur. Uh, Which Steven, I do want to see. Steven yes. Soderbergh. It's called Unsane. Uh, and ultimately, uh, I was shouted down uh, to review. <laughs> well, no, no, we not Dave shouted down. Like, we Dave democratized, like, we yeah, democratized exactly. the process, Dave. <laughs> okay, we we did. You we did. wanted to bring it to Twitter, Dave, and this is what happened. Okay, <laughs> I, I don't know if I wanted to bring it to Twitter. I wanted <laughs> us to re- vote in my way. But anyway, Christy, fortunately, you have actually seen Steven Soderbergh's Unsane. I have. Uh, and so here's my question: Is should we have reviewed Unsane instead today, instead of Pacific no. Uprising? <laughs> Not even a little bit. Oh no. really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. Uh, Unsane, yes, it's the movie shot on the iPhone 7 Plus. Um, and, and the trailers are making it look like it's a very straightforward, like, thriller. Like, there's this woman, and she has a stalker. And, and when she gets, like, uh, for, like against her will, is committed into an insane asylum, this stalker, he works there, and how crazy. And, like, the movie, like, the trailer wants you to think this is exciting. Um, Soderbergh does his best to make it as boring as possible. And I was really annoyed and upset about this because... It's basically like a Lifetime movie that he bled any, like, theatricality out of. And I don't say Lifetime movie as, like, a slam. Like, a lot of people say that when they mean, like, oh, it's like a dumb, like, melodrama. Like, no, I watch Lifetime Lifetime movies. I appreciate the art of a Lifetime movie. But the thing is that in a Lifetime movie, you typically have, like, you know, a, a woman who is trapped in a scenario where like the system is failing her and she's racked with self-doubt and like she's like you know am I under threat or am I not do I have a stalker is he here and like all that stuff plays very much into that 
realm. But then, like, in a Lifetime movie, you tend to have these uh, performances that are so, like, over the top. And I understand where some people would call them bad. I think that, frankly, they give you a catharsis because, as a viewer, they give you something to kind of chuckle at. But also, they, like... It's like a hyperbole of how you would want to see that situation play out. It's very soap opera. It's very grand. And it gives you a sense of catharsis because a lot of those stories are based on things that did happen to real women of like being stalked or being attacked or whatever. And you want the catharsis of the drama and the whatever and the survival, right? And by having his, like everyone in this movie kind of talks like this the whole time, no matter what's going on, everyone talks like this. And <laughs> it's, um, very frustrating to me because there's like a scene where uh, uh, I don't want to say spoilers, but there's like a scene where a very intense conversation is going on. And instead of crying and holding each other, these two women are like sitting across the table and just being like, yes, we really should take care of this. I'm like, <laughs> what is happening? That's so, it's a Soderbergh movie, right? Like that is, exactly. I feel that coldness is always there in a lot of his well, films. But that's like the thing. It's like, you know, yeah. he does like Ocean's Eleven. Like, he knows how to make things, like, jaunty and, and to have a sense of, like, di- dynamicism and, char- and charisma and, uh, I don't know, dynamicism. Yeah, yeah. Dynamism, Dynam- I think. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I just found this really boring, and I felt like the way he was trying to play with it uh, just kind of took away the thing from Lifetime movies that I think is undervalued, which is, you know, the theatricality and the camp value of it is part of the fun, and when you drain that away... I wasn't having fun. I didn't have a catharsis. I just sat there in a sense of dread. And, you know, I can watch a lot of things to feel dreadful. Mm. Uh, Were you a fan of uh, Side Effects by any chance? Or Contagion, any of his previous uh, health-related films? (laughs) I don't watch those because I freaked out about, like, a contagion the trailers were enough for me i was like no i'm good and side effects it was a similar thing where I, I really want to know what you think of side effects yeah, I that thought movie those were... is really good i thought those were yeah. both great films it's, yeah, right? it's not Agreed. that i thought they would be bad it's oh no i know yeah they concern me and i so want to have like a camera facing you as you're watching it and just like recording <laughs> that's the show just yeah. reacting to these just movies. so you know you're you're not wrong about any of that i mean that, <laughs> i'm a person who generally doesn't think about that stuff and i went out of those movies going oh geez we're yeah, all right. doomed yeah. they're and deeply like, troubling films too. yeah yeah i've watched like i'm i like it's it's ever since i binged like a season of house in like a day i just mm-hmm. I, I i need to know my I, I will say side effects is not what you think it's about they definitely sold it one way and it's something very different now I'm wondering if I saw it and just don't remember. Like mm-hmm. I'm looking at the stills and like, did I see this? I might have seen this, but I don't remember. Well, uh, I, I I love those movies, and but that being said, I, I've also heard Unsane is kind of a disaster. So I'm sorry to hear that you didn't have a good experience. But the movie is Unsane, and it's out in uh, theaters right now. Uh, and I actually did okay at the box office this weekend. Um, so I was, I was surprised to see people were interested in checking that out. Uh, but but I've also heard that it's not as good of a movie in terms of how it looks compared to like Tangerine, you know, which is the Sean Baker Yeah, no, film. Tangerine looks a lot better. Like Unsane looks like a movie shot on an iPhone. Mm, interesting. Tangerine, uh, Sean Baker shot that on an iPhone 5S, I believe. So he actually shot it on a worse iPhone than Steven Soderbergh, but apparently it yeah. looks better. Uh, anyway, so Christy, what else are we watching? Uh, the other film I've seen is Isle of Dogs, the new Wes Anderson. Have it, any of you seen it? No, I really yeah. want to, though. Yeah, it it yeah. looks beautiful uh, from the trailers. It's beautiful. Yeah. 
I, I, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a very Wes Anderson movie. There's the, you know, the symmetrical framing and these delicate, very twee details. And there's like a disaffected youth who has this quirky quest and deeply rooted family issues. And that stuff is all very charming and very Wes Anderson. Um, but watching the film, I like came out of it and someone was like, what'd you think? And I kind of dodged the question. Cause I was just like, I don't know. Like I just felt I I didn't like most of his movies really take me in and I feel warm and excited and they have this sense of whimsy that I find very inviting. But uh, this one felt weird to me and I kept trying to kind of figure out what it was and it took me a little bit to sit with it. And I was like, oh, um, it's that like I didn't really get to connect to half the characters because he uses this strange device where he chooses that like the the, the opening title card tells you the dogs will be translated translated into English their barks um but everyone else will speak in their native tongues which means that every Japanese character speaks in Japanese and instead of subtitles that would explain to an English speaking audience um what they're saying they either have a character played by Frances McDormand act as interpreter like literally she plays an interpreter in the film and she explains like this is what the mayor just said or there's no translation. So a character will talk and you're left to figure out through context what they might be saying. And it creates an inherent distance between the characters because this isn't like watching a subtitle movie where you're following along and maybe you're not getting all the nuance of what they're actually saying, but you at least get that broad strokes. Like in this, there are huge sections of the film where you don't know what the characters are actually saying. And so I connected with the dogs. The dogs were very sweet and they spoke English. So I understood what they were saying. But like Atari, who is the little boy at the center who is searching for his dog, there are huge sections of the movie where you just don't know what he's saying and you are left to guess. And I, it created this distance that made me very uncomfortable watching mm -hmm. the film. And um, I tried to touch on that and touch on why I thought that was troubling in my review for Riot Material. But I think Angie Han did a much more insightful job of figuring out kind of the problem with this. Um, she wrote a piece. I know I wrote down what it was called. Ugh. Oh, she mm -hmm. wrote a piece called why is Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs set in Japan? We're not sure either. And it's on Mashable. I highly recommend it because she kind of gets into the whole idea of, you know, is this appropriation? Because effectively it's set in like a futuristic dystopian Japan. And I know a lot of people are, are getting annoyed at the idea of like, well, why can't he set his movie wherever he wants? And it's not, he totally can. And I don't think that like, I don't think he's set out to be disrespectful, but there are just the way he implements Japanese culture into the mm -hmm. film. There's just a certain tone deafness that I think just made me very uncomfortable because you're not watching a film about Japan. You're very clearly watching a film about Japan through the eyes of a white American. Right. Uh, and, you know, I appreciate you describing kind of how the translation happens in the film, because a lot of people have said the effect of that is to other the uh, Japanese characters in the film. Yeah. Right? That like somehow you're you can you can relate more to the dogs in the film than the Japanese people in the film. Right. And um, there's an American character too, and that's kind of a problem too. She's introduced later on, the little blonde girl you see in the things, and she speaks English the entire time, even though she lives in Japan, so in theory, she can speak Japanese. Um, it, it basically creates a white character to pull focus from all these Japanese characters that you've been spending time with. It's just it's it's frustrating because it feels like it gets in the way with what he's trying to say. But to explain all that, I would have to go into a lot of spoilers. So I'd rather mm -hmm. not do that. I would recommend that if you're interested in this topic, look for Angie Han's piece. Angie was a guest on the uh, on the podcast for the Wrinkle in Time episode. She's a friend of mine, and she's also, I think, just one of the best film writers out there. Um, and she wrote a really great piece, piece explaining kind of why this is troubling because it's not it's 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 
not just using Jap- Japan as set right. dressing like a lot of films do. There's like a more involved, complicated political thing going on here. And so, uh, uh, you know, I've I've read a lot of people saying like, yeah, that they thought the movie was beautiful and cute and everything, but that this kind of treatment of this culture left a, like a bad taste in their mouth. Is, would you describe your reaction as similar that like you liked and enjoyed the film otherwise, but that because of the cultural appropriation or wh- however you want to call it, it's, it's uh, problematic issues uh, that it left you not feeling great about your feelings about the well, movie. I mean, throughout the film, I was struggling to connect is kind of the problem. I don't want to make it seem like I had such a good time, but then afterwards I felt uncomfortable about that. Like throughout the film, but I mean, seriously, like I'm not mocking what you said and I'm not going to presume to understand other people's reactions. But, um, for me, it was like throughout the film, there are parts of the film where I was like, Oh, I'm really engaged. And then there were parts of the film where I was bored or where I felt like I, I couldn't emotionally connect what was going on. And it's because, there, there is this inherent distance in the way that he created the film. And mm-hmm. I find like that's, you know, because it's like a lot of his movies where he jumps around to a bunch of different characters. But because you can't actually understand some of the characters, there's a gap there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, politics aside, it's not it's not good filmmaking if if I'm not rooted in every scene. Fair enough. Uh, well, uh, again, we'll link to uh, your review and Angie's review uh, in the show notes. But uh, those are Christie's thoughts on Isle of Dogs, which is out right now in limited release in theaters. Uh, I'm I'm still interested to check it out just because it seems so visually no, totally. striking, yeah. you know. But I'm also yeah, prepared beautiful. to get pretty upset about it. So <laughs> you know, it's yeah, yeah. Both. yeah, it's it's, it's tough. Good. Yeah, like I'm looking forward to it as well. Um, but also, like, I kind of went through this a decade ago with Darjeeling Limited, which is a film that's entirely, you know, three white dudes going to India to try to, like, figure out their family relationship or something. Um, and it was pretty much the same thing, like, taking a lot of the aesthetic of India and not really, I think, making the people of that country actual characters. You know, they yeah, were more props. I, I, I agree. And I love Dar- Wes Anderson. It just it hurts when I see, you know, artists I love right. do things like this. I, I agree Darjeeling Limited is not a great film. I think one yeah. thing you can say to its credit is I believe that they are portrayed to be not super sensitive or awesome people. You know what I mean? So at least yeah, there's fine. at least a sense of the yeah. ugly American. Like yeah. exactly. we, we yeah. accept exactly. that it's their perspective, which is which explains the kind of outsider element. Um but yeah, yeah. It, that's it's not the same thing here. You know, we're not right. talking about tourists because the dogs like they don't speak Japanese, but they lived in Japan. They had Japanese owners, like they are a part of that culture. So it's it's tricky. And it's like, I don't want anyone to think that I'm like out to get Wes Anderson. I love his movies. I was actually really looking forward to this and was dismayed that like, I mean, that's kind of the thing about being a critic, right? Is like you sit watching a movie and you're like, why am I not as into this? And like, where if you're just watching it for fun, you can just be like, all right, well, I'm just going to set that movie aside and I'm, you know, whatever. Like you may watch the whole thing, but you don't have to respond to it. But like my job is to figure out like, okay, why was I not engaging? What was bothering me? Like, why did this movie not hit me the way I hoped it would? And I think that, you know, that it's because there's there's a conflict in the way he chose to present this story. Yeah. All right, guys, let's get to our review. But before we do that, I want to give a shout out to one person who donated to our podcast this week. Anna Carinina da Silva from Brazil donated. Wanted to give her a shout out. Um, I don't think that's her real name. She just wanted to hear me say Anna Carinina again. You're- there you go. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. Anna Carinina. Nailed yeah, it. Anna Korean. Okay. Um, anyway, thanks to Anna or whoever that was for donating to us. Uh, you can always donate to us at slashfilm.com. Use the PayPal links on the side of the page under the slash filmcast tab. You can also go to paypal.me 
slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. Um, and all the money you contribute helps us to defray the cost of going to see movies and putting on this show for you. Uh, so thanks to everyone who donated. Uh, and I'm also, I should point out, we're going to shout out a bunch of people next week who donated this past week as well. Um, so if you don't hear your name read, just sit tight for another week. Um, and you'll probably hear it on next week's episode. In the meantime, let's get to our review of Pacific Rim Uprising. Jake, your father always said he wanted you to be a pilot. He said a lot of things. I'm not a hero like he was. The kaiju. They're gonna come back. I'm not gonna be stuck waiting for someone else to come save my ass. Cadets, you better gear up. That was from the trailer of Pacific Rim Uprising, uh, the newest film by director Stephen DeKnight. It stars John Boyega. Scott Eastwood, and I want to say Kaylee Spaney? Spaney? Nailed um, it. Yeah. Nail- I'm just nailing the sure. names left and right these days. Uh, here's the plot summary from IMDb. Uh, Pacific Rim Uprising is the heartwarming story of a film that only made enough money because of the Chinese market, so they put a bunch more Chinese characters in this one. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That's I'm just reading from my notes. Sorry. <laughs> the IMDb list. Uh, sorry, IMDb. Uh, Jake Pentecost, son of Stacker Pentecost, reunites with Mako Mori to lead a new generation of Jaeger pilots, including rival Lambert and 15-year-old hacker Amara against a new kaiju threat. Uh, so, of course, this is the sequel to the Guillermo del Toro written and directed film Pacific Rim, I think you Which, mean masterpiece. Yeah, I, that's a movie that yeah. I think we all enjoyed. Uh, Christy, were you a Pacific Rim original fan, or did that really? Uh, I liked it fine. Brain? Yeah, yeah. It, I I gotta say, I don't. I think I probably liked it the least of every everyone here. Mm. I, it's mm. it's fine, but it's we are not. canceling you, Jeff. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. like, canceling the, the apocalypse. What I liked yeah. about the first one was just how big the characters were, and like the story itself. Yeah. Okay, fine. I I still struggle with the whole like that the the way that they needed to build giant robots was to depend on the emotional bond of two people. Like that seems like a, okay. Like, so fine, I'll accept that. <laughs> sure. So, so like, but or, I or maybe term. it's, it's symbolic. Guys. They need to be, they need to <laughs> like, be both awesome like, pilots yeah, yeah. and synchronized I, swimmers. <laughs> I can just, I can just accept that and move on that. It's like a very hard fisted metaphor metaphor for like, yeah. you know, teamwork. I get it. That's teamwork. fine. I, I like the first one. Fine. Um, you know, I, I mostly liked when, like, Rando it was like, oh, here's Charlie Day. Oh, here's Ron Perlman. And it was just, like, little weird adventures. Um, because the first one I thought, was it, okay, bear with me. Was it Charlie Hunnam in the first one? Or Charlie Hunnam. Yeah. yeah. Guy? Hunnam. Okay. What? There's, like, <laughs> Hunnam? Yeah. Is that Hunnam. 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 Yep. I barely know him. It's him and the guy from Pan I get confused a lot. This is true. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. So like, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I went through the entirety of Ready Player One thinking that was Ansel Elgort in the lead role. <laughs> um, any, but so anyway, Christy, you were saying. I was just saying. Uh, yeah. So like when they said Charlie Hunnam wasn't coming back, I was like, good. That character is kind of annoying and didn't really do anything for me. And like, give me like you know, Stacker Pentecost was awesome. So they're like, we're right. going to cast John Boyega to be his son. I was like, on board. I'm here for it. And, and then like, yeah. they're going to cast Scott Eastwood to replace Charlie Hunnam. Ooh, huh? Yeah, that is a hundred percent what happened. Yeah. Huh? Like, just who? Like, 
<laughs> I, you know, I think I have a good description for Scott Eastwood. He is like cinematic filler, right? You just like, He's you stuff him in there. Blanket. Yeah, you stuff him in there to like just really round out the cast. He's the cinematic equivalent of like Soylent. You know, he yeah. has all the nutrients. Like mold him into something <laughs> and get the chin right. No, it's, it's like, like the, the little sprig of uh, green that they put on the, you know, <laughs> He's on your... On your moons over my hammy. It's like, why do I need a sprig of green on my moons over my yeah. hammy? Uh, Take it and you'll like it. I don't need that. His father was famous. He, he yeah, will, and that's the thing. It's like he. It's like they really feel like because he looks enough like Leon Clint Eastwood that like yeah. that'll carry charisma and interest. And it's like instead they keep casting him as like a professional wet blanket who's just like, you're trying to have a good time and be interesting. Well, <laughs> Scott Eastwood just showed up. I'm like, okay, cool. Scott, Scott Eastwood will leave you longing for the charisma of Sam Worthington. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> he he will leave you a little bad. I feel like he's going to hear this at some point and just like. No, we're being start very crying. personal. We're, yeah, right. but it's. It's all true. Come it's, on. All, it's all extremely yeah. true. Okay, 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 okay. Let's start with Devendra because I know you like this movie the most. I um, yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. I did not expect much, uh, judging from some of the early reviews. But I didn't read reviews. I was just like watching the tomato score go down and down every day, um, which is something that makes me sad sometimes. I don't know. Uh, but I want to say I am a big fan of Stephen DeKnight. I followed his work uh, since like Buffy and Angel too, I believe. Uh, but he did Spartacus on uh stars which is a great show that nobody has watched because it's on stars um he also were helped develop the first season of daredevil and really like shape what that show would be so as a writer and as a tv you know showrunner i've always liked his work uh so i was just really interested in seeing how he would adapt himself to the film uh and i you know i had so much fun with this movie because i think it really builds on the world of the original, right? Like so many things are just, you know, if you've seen the first movie, you kind of know how, you know, the, uh, the mind melding stuff works. You kind of know what drifting is. You kind of, you know, you you know, these giant robots are here and you know, they fight big monsters, like all that glorious world setup happened in the first movie. So this one can have a little more fun and give us like a, you know, a broader idea of the world and kind of how they're reacting post-apocalypse. And I liked this idea that there are just these like random people who are just like, you know, living in the ruins of civilization, uh, people hacking together their own, uh, you know, their own uh, robots. Uh, I I think that's all like really fun. Uh, John Boyega is a great, you know, it's a great lead role for him because I just enjoyed him doing his shtick, even though it kind of feels like uh, the Star Wars shtick a little sometimes too. Um, I thought the visuals were quite good. Uh, Dave, I saw your tweet where you, uh, yeah, annihilated the special effects of this movie. <laughs> and I didn't, I never got that sense. Like I actually got the sense that the sense of scale, like as the monsters and the robots are, you know, roaming through cities and smashing through buildings. I really felt it uh, during some of the action sequences. I love that they kept the, the like lumberingness of the action there from the first movie, because these are, big thing so if it's taking like a swing at something right you see it kind of coming from a mile away you feel the gravity and weight of those giant creatures and the robots um and there are some points too where i think he has a lot of fun with visuals uh there's one shot that's in the trailer where uh the young hacker girl uh amara namani uh where the camera just kind of pans around her as like chaos is happening around her so there's some beautiful stuff here i don't think it's as artful as the original film, um, I describe it as like Saturday morning cartoons. 
And mm-hmm. I love Saturday morning cartoons. It's, it's kind of the stuff I grew up watching, and it kind of evoked that same sense. Uh, I, I even saw a little nod to other giant robot franchises in this movie. Um, but I think Pacific Rim, the original, um, you know, Del Toro was going for something even more. He was going for, like, he was definitely going for kaiju films, but he was going for, like, big robot anime as well. Like, there was a lot of Neon Genesis Evangelion in there. Like, he was just trying to, I think at the while having fun with the cheesy genre also trying to elevate a little whereas this one i think is fine just having fun and being a little comic booky uh i can understand why people aren't digging this one as much but you know as as far as like giant robot movies go where they fight monsters i i have a lot of fun with that and to me like this is much more fulfilling than any of the transformers films where i never connected with the characters mm-hmm. the action got consistently worse um like it this is a movie that has fun with its premise and knows exactly what it is. And I kind of appreciate it for that. I have so much to say in response, but first I'm going to turn it over to Christy Puchko. Christy, <laughs> take it away. I liked it fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like it's interesting. Cause like you guys are talking about the action. I'm like, yes, yes. I saw it yesterday. I don't remember most of the action. Um, <laughs> I it's honestly, okay. I think it's just a thing of like, to me, the color palettes of the monsters, I, I just can't tell them apart at, certain, mm. at a certain point. And yeah. the like, they like they spend all this time with Amara in the beginning, where she's like, "Oh my gosh, that's such and such robot," and that Jaeger does this. And I was like, "Cool, so they're we're going to see all these special powers." But it felt like by the time that actually happens, I was it was just a tangle of of action and stuff. And I was like, "Oh okay." Like what worked for me with this was I again I like the characters. I thought that John Boyega as this kind of Han Solo type, like he's mm-hmm. he's much more like arrogant than Finn. And I thought that was really fun. And I like the way like he repeatedly calls people sexy in this movie. And it's <laughs> I'm not mad at it. It's like funny because he's like telling like he's like, Yeah, well, you're really good looking, so you need to like learn to deal with that. And it's like he's yeah. not hitting on the person. He's just like trying to give them a pep talk and you're like Stacker, you coach. know, uh, Stacker it's Jr. Like it's kind of a creepy coach thing, but yeah, it's good. Yeah, but it was kind of funny. And then it's like at one point he's like complaining about uh, Clint Eastwood's son and he like prefers to, he's like, he's so good looking or something. And it's just like that yeah. stuff I really so thought sexy. was fun. Yeah. yeah, he's so sexy. And it's like, yeah. And then like Amara, I thought was really fun. I like the idea of that. I like the idea of this girl who like, was challenging the norm and who was like, I'm going to, you know, build my own Jaeger, which is like something introduced in the first act. That is not a spoiler. I feel like it's also in the trailers, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I, I like that stuff. I like the character stuff. I like the idea of the cadets, but for me where the film falls apart is it, it's jumping around and doing so many things that there were some storylines that I really wanted to know more about, but we had to get to all these other plot yeah. points so that we could have the action scenes. And so like, there's like a female character in this that like I don't totally know her name and I guess that she's in a love triangle, but she only like it's like so barely established that the film's just kind of like forget about that now let's run over here and like it's a very messy movie but I had yeah fun. yeah yeah she kisses two people and that's and they're just like li- what's that about literally the only thing you know about her. <laughs> And she like builds. She's like a mechanic, maybe. She's a mechanic. No, you, yeah, she's you a don't know girl. anything other than she kissed both of them one time. <laughs> All right, Jeff Kanata. You, I, I want to talk, talk about like the insane plot of this movie and spoilers. But Jeff Kanata, your thoughts yes. on, on Pacific Rim? Uprising. Well, yes, we definitely need to talk about that. But I believe <laughs> that I can tell you everything you need to know about this movie <laughs> by just dissecting the title mm. of this movie. Mm. Okay, Pacific Rim. Uprising mm-hmm. means nothing. <laughs> it means nothing. What is uprising? What's rising up? 
Anything? Is there anything uprising about this movie? Well, te- technically, who are uprising? Some things did uh, technically uh, some things yeah. did uprise. You know, yeah. so, did they? Yeah. If you're going to be literal, Jeff, yeah. we're going to take you on the literal. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the title was the least happened. terrible thing about this film. <laughs> Come on, Jeff, I found let's... it to be one of the most terrible. Things. <laughs> it, it is. It is as banal and uh, and and non-specific and. It's just like this thing that they painted on, and I feel like that's the whole movie. Mm. I feel like uh, I agree with Devendra that there is a Saturday morning cartoonness to this whole idea. It's giant robots punching giant monsters. That's the Pacific Rim franchise. But it, it just goes to show how far we've come in geek <laughs> culture that that's not enough anymore, right? If if that had come out when I was 10, that would have been enough because we didn't have that. It, it just didn't happen on this kind of scale. There was a, not a big movie in theaters where it took this kind of genre stuff seriously. But that's just not enough anymore. It, it has There has to be a good movie now. I, the fact that I can look at this and go yawn is – telling because we have so much genre stuff now and this movie is ridiculous it it it, it even by the time we even get to uh giant robots punching giant monsters we've been watching this movie for like an hour and 45 minutes and for some reason they felt the need to have giant robots punch something different for a while it's like no i came here i paid my money for one reason (laughs) one reason do giant robots punch giant monsters? Oh, no, not for about an hour and 45 minutes. Well, then what am I doing here? <laughs> what am I doing here? Good, I'm good ready, question. I'm waiting for some sort of uprising to happen. That is not what I came here for. Hmm. Uh, I, it, was, uh, it was in the title, and you were warned, Jeff. I, <laughs> I, I don't like the fact that you guys completely undercut my premise. Um, <laughs> Sorry. I, I love John Boyega. The guy is char- charismatic as hell. He could, he could, you know, the, he is the shining star in this movie, and and you can just tell this guy has a huge future because he's just so charismatic and fun to to watch. But everything else just feels like a mess. The whole beginning, and I mean not beginning, but the sort of like second act of of after we get into the the Jaegers is just like, what is even happening? Who are all these cast of characters? It's it's just a, a mess and a jumble for nothing because really all that matters is do giant robots punch giant monsters? That's the beginning and end of what this franchise is about. And it it really just backloads all of that in a very brief way and it's not satisfying. And that's a shame because uh, that kind of thing can be fun. It just isn't particularly in this movie. Yeah, you know, when I watched this movie uh, and thought about it afterwards, I was reminded of the words of our modern-day philosopher Adam Sandler, who once wrote the following, What we have just seen is one of the most insanely idiotic things ever. (laughs) At no point in this rambling, incoherent film was there anything even close to to something that could be considered a rational I feel thought. like I could call a moratorium on this quote. <laughs> Every, everyone in this podcast is now dumber for having seen it. I award this movie no points and may God have mercy on its soul. Uh, this movie is terrible. And and, and I, I'm I, I'm trying, you know, we, we try to keep things at a at a uh, arm's length uh, from an emotional standpoint on this podcast. But I'm trying not to be insulted 
at anything positive said about this film, which in my opinion disgraces the memory of Guillermo del Toro's Pacific Rim One. Evidently, um, <laughs> del Toro thinks that too because he would not be seen within you know ten thousand feet of this movie. But uh, I, I want to push back since you totally destroyed my premise, Dave. I <laughs> and I never, I shall never forgive you. Mm. Uh, I want to push back and say that I would watch this movie a thousand times before rewatching any of the Transformer movies once. Here's the thing is I never thought a movie would leave me longing for the A, plausibility, and B, pyrotechnics of a Transformers film. But here we are. This we is are. where I got to put down my foot, David Chen. <laughs> what are you smoking? Yeah, this, that's, like, that's this, this movie has characters. <laughs> this movie has characters that you may not care about, but at least it tries to get you to care about. Like, it has a coherent plot. What the hell happened in Transformers 2, Dave? That movie didn't have a script. That movie was like special <laughs> effects people. Just like uh, it was, um, what's his face? Just telling them to like blow everything up. Like, Michael we got Bay. nothing. Yeah, Michael I hate Bay. that we are <laughs> we're arguing about gradients of awful, but here we are, and you are you are wrong. You are I like wrong. that you guys can remember plot points from Transformers movies. They are just they are just a blur of battle bots to me. I can't something on a pyramid. I know drunk Merlin's in the last one. Mm. Yes, that's yeah. that's all I got. Okay, here let me let's let's put aside the Transformers comparisons because we're we're really gonna we're gonna have to fight all night if if we go into that. But I'll say that I'll say this. Uh, I went back and rewatched the uh, the opening parts of Pacific Rim One, and uh, it is just so apparent, like that there is a vision there, uh, and that the, the way the machines, the Jaegers, move feels so much more authentic in the first film. Like they move like these massive lumbering machines that you would need two people to operate, whereas in this film they feel a lot more like. Um, how Mighty Morphin Power Rangers look when they're, you know, in the midst of a big city. You know, there, there's but no the, weight or heft to these machines. Uh, I want to just, just quickly just do a sidebar about the whole, like, need two people to operate them thing, which, <laughs> you know, like Devinder said, we all grew up on 80s cartoons, and we understand how you have to have, you know, five drivers for the Voltron. Right, you have right. to have several drivers for your Shogun Warrior. You know, I get it. I, I was raised on that stuff. It makes no sense that the two drivers do the same thing at the same time. That the fact that they're synchronized swimmers, like why not have left brain, right brain guys? Come on, come it's on, work with me here. I, I actually do want to intervene here because I actually <laughs> thought that the element of of as much as I think the neural bridge thing, I'm like okay, like I just ex- I just have to hang on to that because that's your mm-hmm. premise. We're going to go with this. But um, what I thought was cool about this one is in the first movie. Like the action felt very video game and that it was like they're watching on a screen what's happening and they're and they're in those big heavy rigs and it felt very disjointed. Like it mm-hmm. felt like you're in the action of the Kaiju right. versus the Jaeger. And then like it like even though they're in the the Jaeger, it feels like and then remotely there. It's just like, why are they in there? It seems well, like they uh, do- so I, I remember Guillermo del Toro talking about this and like the way he positioned the camera and everything for the original film was like he wanted to feel like it was actually a camera that was somewhere that was actually shooting these things. Whereas this movie has the free floating kind of CG style, like where the camera's just going everywhere and looping around. It's all over the place. Well, right. It's a very but, different look, but yeah. But yeah. beyond that, it's also that now they're not, they're not in these big heavy rigs anymore and they can be more like they get to move and jump around in a way that's like, 
uh, I think embraces the action a lot more. And also the, it's like they basically interact with 3d holograms within the Jaeger body, which I think makes the action more immersive than it did from the first film. So there are a lot of like, I'm not saying this is anywhere as good as the first film, but that element of the action I thought translated far better. Interesting. I, so the things that you liked more about this film, I hated more, you know, I, I don't, <laughs> I, I liked the, the fact that there felt like a one-to-one connection between what they were doing in the machine and what was on the outside of the machine on the in the first film and like in this movie it is much more they're they're dancing around and jumping around in, in that in that rig and um it just feels less weighty like physically weighty in this movie um so i i just didn't like the look and feel overall of of the visual effects and uh, that was a big downside to me because as jeff indicated you know uh, you go to this movie to watch robots fight monsters, and um, I go to watch them fight monsters in slightly more realistic fashion than they were depicted here. Uh, but uh, other than that, I think uh, you guys have already hit all the points that are terrible about this film, which is that it it, it, it seems bizarrely stuffed with a ton of plot uh, for a movie that's supposed to be kind of a, a light romp. And it tries to do too much, but doesn't really do anything particularly well, unfortunately. There is this whole uh, love triangle plot that you guys point to. There's, there's a stacker Pentecost trying to live up to the legacy of his father. Um, there is uh, this other plotline with all these cadets, right, that Amara is with and all them bonding and mm-hmm. rising up together. And really none of that connected. Uh, I just don't feel like any of those plotlines were given their due. Uh, yeah. And in the end, you know, it's just it's it, you go to see good action. And as Jeff pointed out, like the action is not that great. And, and if if not action, then you go for this emotional connection uh, with these characters. And, and none of that existed as well. Um, I, I will say, you know, one of the great things I liked a, a lot about Pacific Rim is the character, the uh, relationship between like Charlie Hunnam's character and Malcolm Mori. Um, I liked that it was not a romantic uh, subplot, right? Like, they don't kiss at the end. It feels like a... We commented on this in our review of this film five years ago, but, like, it does not feel like a... um like a shoveled in romantic subplot, like there, there is like this mutual respect and this friendship there. Mm-hmm. And that felt really different and fresh. And this movie basically does the complete opposite. It, it shoehorns in this really poorly uh, executed love triangle that just is very ill-advised and completely unbelievable. Um, yeah, it's like when they first introduced it, I thought this isn't a love triangle, right? That's just it's too awkward. <laughs> and then they just kept doing it. And I was like, no, like, I don't care. And you're spending so much screen time. Yeah. But it's like, I, what? Like, yeah, there's no purpose for it. But it feels I like they the movie itself makes fun of that. Wait. Like, that's I, I think the movie itself <laughs> makes fun of the love triangle, like as mm, it's happening. I, 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 that yeah. sound that Christy just made where she's like, you know, that's how I feel about what you just said to Vintra. <laughs> okay. I don't I don't feel like there is that much that self-awareness. That was confusing, was not a funny response to whatever was happening there. And we all know the real love triangle. The real relationship is Scott Eastwood. Like, mm. with, yeah, it, it's those two. <laughs> like, they're just in love with each other and they're trying to figure this out. Uh, I, I wish. I Like, here's the thing. I wish that they'd, like, they'd found, like, a Poe Dameron for this franchise. Like, not necessarily Oscar Isaac, though I wouldn't have been mad at it. But, like... Find someone who has this weird spontaneous charisma where when the two of them are around each other, you're like, I don't even care what happened. Like, I just want them together. I don't need to know the backstory. But they're like, here's fun John Boyega. Here's Scott Eastwood, everybody. (laughs) And like, it's just every time they're having a conversation, I'm just like, I don't care. Because like we all like it's just so such bad storytelling because everybody thinks that Scott Eastwood, not Scott Eastwood. 
Lambert, pardon me, <laughs> the character that Scott Eastwood plays is just lame and annoying. And he's just like, I'm by the book and, blah, 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 and everyone's supposed to think he's terrible. It's it's not interesting dramatically at all. And they keep hitting that beat over and over where they keep fighting about like, I'm by the book. Well, I'm not like cool. Yeah. Like it just feels like a waste of screen time when you have all these interesting things going on. And we can if we're going to go into spoilers, we can talk about the other stuff. But like there's like stuff that they have to get to to tie it to the first film. And that becomes like laborious, which is kind of why toward the end of the film, I was really just getting bummed because I like the idea of these cadets and like in mm-hmm. a very kind of um Oh, what is that movie called? Uh, that Orson Card movie that came out. Ender's, like, game. Ender's game, yeah. Thank you, Ender's game. It reminded me of Ender's game of like these kids who were like, we're gonna team up and save the world, and I like the idea of that. But like, we spend so little time with them that you're just like, that's the angry Russian one. Like, they don't get a lot of like depth. So I thought that was disappointing. Agreed completely. I mean, it could have been a much better film for a variety of reasons if they had developed that a little bit more and right. kind of passed the torch on to Amara. You know, so in this Dave, way, yeah. Dave, you found well, nothing. Really did you find anything interesting about Amara? Because I think they did a good job of building up her character, at least her relationship with. Uh, yeah, Jake she, she, I'll say she wasn't terrible. I'll say <laughs> she was not a terrible character, uh, and I thought the the actress who played her did a did a fine job. I just think in general. The the casting overall is not in the same caliber as Pacific Rim One. I mean, you have Idris Elba playing Stacker Pentecost, and you know, uh, in this movie, Jake says like, "I'm not my father. Uh, I'm not going to give you a speech." But then he gives a speech, and it's terrible in comparison to Stacker Pentecost yeah. speech. And it's like, wow, you really compare unfavorably a fact which you just pointed out to me. Uh, so I, I just think like the on a performance level, it's not as strong as the first film, and and the look and the feel, I don't like it as much, and um and it tries the Pacific Rim Uprising tries for all these kind of cheap gimmicks like this love triangle that you think is self aware but that I don't that I don't, um and so overall and and the action is not that good like the the set pieces I don't th- think were particularly interesting, so I thought I think this is like a total loss in terms of uh. In terms of my time. So I want to throw out a thing that I feel like could have helped tie these stories together in a much more interesting way and ditch some of the backstory that we feel like doesn't work very well. If they had basically been like, let's take Pacific Rim meets the Mighty Ducks, it would have been amazing. I agree. Because yeah. then you could have just been like, oh, John Boyega plays a character who like washed out and screwed up, but this is his chance at redemption if he can get these cadets in line. And then like just we really don't need Lambert you and you could have someone be a figure I mean they could have given Mako the like you know stern like we really need you to shape up kind of mm-hmm, thing mm-hmm. and then you could have ditched all that extraneous stuff there are definitely things on, like, to talk about in spoilers yeah yeah, yeah. no about good good that. call though that would have been, sorry go ahead sorry I realized that like while you were talking and that's what that like <gasps> it was like literal eureka <laughs> moment of like oh my god guys what about Mighty Ducks mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah no you're right I mean I, this is a, a, a perfect instance where uh, less would have been more, I think. So, all right, guys, uh, I think there's a little bit more to discuss. So why don't we dive into spoilers for Pacific Rim Uprising starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. All right, Devendra, let me tell you about some things I liked about this film. Uh, first oh, of yeah, all, you wait till nobody's listening now. <laughs> I see. <laughs> no, it's because I can't. I can't talk about it until spoilers. Um, one if thing you I say like, all the if you say all the Charlie Day stuff, I'm gonna be pissed. No, 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 no. He's really th- into Alice. Uh, thinks yeah. she's the best. I think uh, 
first of all, I would say 90 to 95% of the time uh, when I see a non-Chinese person speaking Chinese in a film, they sound terrible and have an awful accent and are completely unconvincing as a native Chinese speaker, which makes it really upsetting when then like everyone around them praises them for being an awesome native Chinese speaker. Uh, that happens in like a ton of movies. Yeah. And uh, in this movie... They're actually like uh, Charlie Day plays a character who's actually called out on his terrible Chinese accent, uh, which I really appreciate it. So that's one good thing. <laughs> but on related to that is uh, I, I did enjoy that they set up the uh, Chinese woman to be the big uh, the big bad, and it turns out that Charlie Day is the villain. So that was uh, a, a fun reversal. So th- yeah. those are some and things. Kind of it kind of came out of nowhere but what i like about that maybe you know you guys may not like like how it actually happened in the film but it does build on something from the first movie because what they did in the first movie is insane like they freaking they drifted with the with the aliens like i do like that the idea that this you know you can build on something that actually happened before and within the confines of this universe, like it seems like a vaguely plausible thing. Like, oh man, they hacked his brain while this was all going on. Uh, was a fun little twist. And how often do we get to see Charlie Day just be crazy, uh, evil scientist mode? Yeah. I don't know, that was a little different. Yeah, sure. I just that it's. It, it, I didn't mind the twist. Like I know some people are probably mad. They're like, "What? He was so great in the first one. Whatever." I just it takes so long to get there. They have to lay so yeah. much groundwork. Yeah, and it just feels like it's really distracting, so that they can get to a twist that it's like not like as soon as they introduce Alice, are we not thinking that's where it's going to go? It is funny that she's talking about this drone army the whole time. She's so ridiculously evil the entire film. (laughs) Uh, Like the drones, I'm going to – it's almost like this accident that killed a ton of people, you know, was a good thing for me. Like she's so evil. And then (laughs) – and you're right. They laid. It was like an hour and 20 minutes into the film until we discover that Charlie Day is the real villain. Uh, The thing that pissed me off is is the fact that they feel the need to introduce new – like. Oh, the Jaegers can somehow morph into evil spiked Jaegers that we have to, yeah. the drone thing, like though completely unnecessary. Not what we came to this movie to see. I'm not interested in watching <laughs> robots. They're still monsters, robots. Jeff. They're still <laughs> giant They're not, monsters. Not really monsters. I They're love not the, the literalness cool. of all of this. The title oh, and the, yeah, the monsters. I, I don't know. And, like, Jeff the, is getting really hung up on labels. <laughs> <laughs> well, fair enough. But. <laughs> I will agree with you, Christy, that you brought this thing about the, you know, the cool stuff from the first movie where, the, or mm-hmm. where she walks into the hangar and she's like, that's the cool kaiju. That's the, I mean, uh, the cool uh, Jaeger. That's the other cool Jaeger. And then there's another briefest of moments in the movie where they show this panel that has all of the kaiju labeled and they have unique icons for each of the kaiju. <laughs> and I like, there's some designer who spent hours of his life designing <laughs> all of that stuff and thinking it through and coming up with this cool a taxonomy of 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 kaiju that feels so ready to be awesome and yet the movie couldn't care less about all of that mm. shows it in the briefest of moments and then like that is that is what makes great movies great is that cool universe building stuff mm-hmm. right and, yeah i want to know about all those things i want to, the mythology mm-hmm. to be a big part of this franchise and it just isn't it sucks yeah, it's really unfortunate. Uh, speaking of things that suck, the the final battle sequence I thought uh, was really um, insane. I, I, so Charlie Day unleashes all these tiny little robot things. Which okay, thanks for introducing that concept earlier. Uh, 
and then somehow they're able to physiologically combine three kaiju into one. Is that what happened? Yeah. At the end? Yes. That's what yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is the part you can't buy, Dave? Uh well it just it just is like okay so these these um nanobot things or whatever that you've never introduced like they are able to like mm-hmm. fuse kaiju it's like not even the thing that was in, like dramatically it's just a right, weird right, right. choice i feel like it wasn't to, like set up anywhere i yeah. could see i could see that yeah, yeah it's it also like, like, like yeah Go ahead, just, it feels like anime to me where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, it looks like they're going to defeat the villain and it's like, oh, I've got you now. And then they just unleash something that like is in no way set up. And yeah, like the finale, I was just kind of like underwhelmed because like I said, at this point, I was like, I just want to hang out with the characters. And now we're in this thing right, where it's right. just and I couldn't like tell who was in what robot. So maybe that's on me. I uh, I saw it on IMAX 3D because in New York and I don't know if you guys had this trouble uh, or if Devinder had this trouble. It's actually kind of almost impossible to not see it in 3D in New York. Like, I only saw, like, two 2D screenings, and they were, like, in theaters that are, like, nowhere near me. So my options were, like, IMAX 3D or 3D or 4DX 3D. or Like, they were all these, like, padded ticket options. So that was actually kind of frustrating because, like, if I have my Red Druthers, I'm just going to go 2D. And I don't know that IMAX 3D brought anything extra to this, which is kind of disappointing. I saw it in 2D, uh, but yeah, you definitely have to fish around for specific screenings and whatever. Yeah. Can I bring up another point? Let's. Uh, there is uh, a lot of hay made about uh, figuring out. We spent so much time figuring out that we can use rocket rockets to to shoot the <laughs> the uh, Jaegers closer to where we need them to be yeah. rather than helicopters. And it seems like the stupidest thing that anybody could care about. Like until, of course, the end, which it's, it's all this elaborate setup for rocketing them into space for the last thing. But ostensibly, the guy worked so hard so that we could all get in our Jaegers and rocket to where we need to be <laughs> rather than being helicoptered there. It just seems like the, the stupidest. We spend so much time in the movie working on that. And then they're <laughs> all so excited that we could just rocket to where we need to go. You know, I mean, they did, they did tell you, I mean, within the movie, they tell you, like, by the time you get there with the helicopter or whatever, you know, the monsters have already destroyed half the city. How, how can we fix that? Rockets. Yeah, let's rock. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's literally like we got a faster transportation system installed to get yeah. us. Clo- I don't know. Uh, it, 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 yeah, it's it sucks for two reasons. One is that, uh, as I indicated, like you've seen these robots move incredibly quickly. Like, that's the thing. That's why I feel like, like, in the first film, you know, maybe I'm remembering this wrong, but I, I did rewatch a significant chunk of it that, like, they move like what gigantic robot, robots would move like, which is, like, yeah. very slow and ponderously. Uh, and so that makes sense. But in this movie, they move like they're actual, like, human beings, like, at, at city sized. It just doesn't. It, and so uh, the idea that, oh, they need a rocket to get to this place that's, like, three miles away, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't ring true from a visual perspective. And the second thing is, uh, this movie messed up the one thing that <laughs> it was a slam dunk, which is the music from the first film written by Ramin Javadi, who right. created the Game of Thrones theme. Uh, I'm like, oh, well, you know, everything else about this movie is terrible, but at least they're going to rock out to that Pacific Rim theme song. Uh, wrong. The, the theme song is in like 10 seconds of this film, and it comes during this terrible montage that happens when uh they're doing that stuff that jeff was talking about about figuring out how to put rockets on the machines and 
It's just like of all the things to montage, it just, I found, found it to be a bizarre decision. And then they play the music for like five seconds, and then it's over. You know, it is um, great music, though. Yeah, it is great music. It's a kick-ass <laughs> theme, and I'm yeah. I'm bummed that they didn't use it more often. Right. Uh, yeah, although maybe I'm not. All rally together. Get yeah. these and also Tom these. Morello, I believe too. Like Tom Morello and guitars there. That's a it's a yeah. fun theme. Yeah. I'm uh, glad you I, I, of that montage though, because that is that is really what made me so angry. Is like, <laughs> it, it, this is the big climactic, you know, a team making the cool van into a cooler van, and literally the end result is, we can get there a little quicker. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of which, all right, we we have to talk about uh, Mako Mori's death scene. Yeah, which was pretty this bad. Is, this is his biggest crime. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, pre- especially because as soon as they introduce her, you're like, "Cool, you're only being set up in this film so they can murder you." Like, it's obvious yeah. from the first frame, right? And also, uh, when she's like, "All you got to do is," you know, she says to Jake, "Like, all you got to do is show up in your machine and stand there." And it's like, I lean over to my wife and I say, "She's dead." You know, like, <laughs> there's no way she's gonna survive this somehow. Uh, so yeah, she for some reason in her last moments, she's like smashing this iPad repeatedly to try to transmit this important message, which they don't even like. Uh, you know, it, like why did she have this message? Why why didn't she give it earlier? You know, like never returned to again. Um, but they were able to reconstruct it using a fractal algorithm. Yeah, no, that's true. That's a really important part of it. Uh, and then and then the best part is. That after, like, the enemy Jaeger, right, the, the Jaeger that basically results in her death, he see, that Jaeger registers that there's, like, three more Jaegers on the way, and he just turns around and walks into the ocean, and end of scene, cut to Mako Mori's funeral. And it's like, <laughs> yep. oh, I guess that explains everything. Like, Jaeger goes back into the ocean, and we were never able to find him again, this enormous machine. <laughs> that, you know, it's just so, so terrible. And yeah, it, it is one of the movie's worst crimes, as you said, Devendra. Uh, well, it's they... hard because Mako was such a great character yeah. from the first film, yeah. and I wanted to see her kicking ass. And yeah. she here, she's basically in, like, a bureaucratic role. She loses the blue streak from her hair, which was such, like, a character to thing for her too yeah. like it's there there's a lot there's a it's lot like, going wrong here yeah for some reason it's like the film thinks it can't have like two interesting female characters at once so it's like well we have amara now so we have to kill off mako like it just there's it feels really unmotivated and it feels like they needed to write her out so if they wanted to continue the franchise it could be without her or something and it just seems it just seems a real disservice to to rinko because uh, i thought she was great in the first one yeah and like way more interesting than charlie hunnam and then it's like I don't know. I don't mind that they centered the new one on new characters, but to it just bums me out that you're going to bring back the old characters to just treat them with such, you know, kind of wasteful disregard. Agreed completely, Christy. Agreed mm-hmm. completely. All right. Uh, any closing thoughts on Pacific Rim? Any any other insane parts one. that we didn't bring? Go ahead, Christy. Well, watching this, I thought about how, okay, I'm kind of bored. Okay, I like this part. I don't like this part. And, like, overall, like, it was fine. I, I didn't, you know, need to write a review. So I caught to kind of just experience it in a mostly just, you know, uh, let's go see what it looks like type of thing. All right. That was not a good thread. You get what I'm saying. But anyway, but um, it occurred to me that watching the film, it's probably not for me, really. Like, it's probably honestly, it's probably like Super Mario Brothers, where it's for like the kids right now who mm-hmm. like aren't really going to care about all these story stuff as much. And I don't mean that because kids are like, you know, not smart enough or whatever, but it's like their generation is like looking for, you know, they're really interested in building things. And this movie is about that. Amara gets to build her own Jaeger. And there's a lot of stuff there for them. 
I think where the movie makes a mistake is it's trying to please them and also be like, oh, but we still need to pad all this other stuff in here. And it does like the Independence Day thing where it's going out of its way to like loop in all this other stuff. I just wish this movie had focused on like an audience instead of trying to appease everybody. Because I think in doing that, it makes itself like fine, but not exciting. Mm-hmm. Well said, Christy. I, um, go definitely. ahead. I do think like the first movie definitely benefited from you know, Guillermo del Toro and his vision. Like he knew exactly what he wanted to make. And it was a little idiosyncratic. It was a little weird, but that's what we love about him. Um, and this movie kind of loses that a little. I think there it there was a feeling of like maybe more studio interference or more studio control over how this film was put together. And I think even the night uh, said on Twitter that like, you know, this, this wasn't like his ideal cut of the film either. And I'd love to know like what was changed down the line. Um, but I have to say like to what you're saying, Christy, I, you know, I saw it at a matinee screening. There were a ton of kids who were very excited to see the next uh, gypsy, the next uh, gypsy mm-hmm. robot. And, you know, they got, amped up over all that stuff and they yeah they like the big action sequences uh it felt like yeah something that they could easily you know consume or enjoy a little more than us it sucks that you know we can't enjoy movies as much that way because uh you know we have critical brains and we gotta we gotta look at all this stuff we've lost uh, the wonder yeah. of soulless cash grabs by studios it's it is I, we have. I wish they had we made have. that movie though i wish they had made that movie i wish when uh, Amari walks into that room and, and names off all the Jaeger. That was the feeling that the movie gave. Me. Right. I want. I, I yeah. want to feel that way of like, oh my god, this is so awesome. The, that one and that one, and they have these cool interactions and powers. And the, the oh my gosh, how is this one going to take down that monster? None of that is in the movie. That if they had doubled down on making a advertisement for a toy line, I think it would be a better movie. I mean, yeah. you know, if it had just been no, like, I hey, get what look, you're saying, actually, look yeah. how cool the different kaiju are. Look how cool all the different robots are. Right. Right. But yeah. it's not even that. Yeah. They should have pulled a, a Batman v Superman and had like a, a scene where uh, Scott Eastwood <laughs> yeah. sits down and watches all the kaiju on the monitor. <laughs> Yeah, uh, with like cool little like, logos for all of them, or even better, uh, uh, rip off a Suicide Squad where you like you break each of them out of prison and they all get their own little title card for no reason. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, meet uh, Kaiju Slipknot, the man who can climb anything, and let's kill him off three seconds later. Um, okay, <laughs> so Pacific Rim Uprising. Um, a, a, I mean, yeah, you you know, Christy, I think you. You put your uh, you hit the nail on the head. I, I think this this felt like a uh, a money grab. It felt it did not feel like oh there was a really amazing story they wanted to tell uh, in the Pacific Rim universe. It felt like you know the studio wanted to make some money and they they brought in someone who could execute this movie uh, competently. Um, and you know people have different reactions to how competently he did it, but it is unfortunate that the end result is not uh, much worth talking about. So. That's our review of Pacific Rim Uprising. Uh, stay tuned to your OB review next week. Uh, find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Um, and our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Christy Puchka, where can you find more of your work on the internet this week? I write on Pajiba every day, but you can find her highlights at decadentcriminals.com, including a bunch of stuff I did out of South by Southwest. And uh, I'm on Twitter at Christy Puchko, K-R-I-S-T-Y-P-U-C-H-K-O. How about you, Davindra? Oh, I'm on Twitter at, at Davindra, and you write about techit and gadget.com. Jeff Kanata? 
I'm on Twitter at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. Talk about video games uh, on a show called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. And I do a comedy science podcast called We Have Concerns. We'll actually be doing a live version of nice. We Have Concerns at PAX East on Friday, April, I want to say 6th, 5th, 5th or 6th, whatever that fri- Friday is, uh, at 11 a.m. So if you're going to PAX East... Please come see us. I guarantee uh, some laughs and some fun. Uh, we have concerns.com to listen to the podcast, uh, but we'll be there at PAX East. Awesome. And uh, find my stuff at davechen.net or twitter.com slash davechensky. That's davechensky. Uh, I've also been making some more YouTube videos. You can find that at youtube.com slash davechensky. And next week, we'll be reviewing Steven Spielberg's newest film, Ready Player One. So looking forward to that. I think we're going to have some really even more divergent opinions, if I had to surmise. Um, so stay tuned for that. And thanks for listening to the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. We're out. We watch the movie.